Science Friday is supported by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. WNYC Studios is supported by MathWorks, creators of MATLAB and Simulink, software for technical computing and model-based design. MathWorks, accelerating the pace of discovery in engineering and science. Learn more at MathWorks.com. WNYC Studios is brought to you by ZBiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with ZBiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. ZBiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink ZBiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com slash WNYC and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. It's an important day in the history of astronomy, the birth date of a pioneering scientist who helped us classify the stars. At the beginning of the story, almost nothing was known about what stars were made of, how they created their heat and light. And by the end, just about everything was known. It's Monday, December 11th, the birthday of Annie Jump Cannon, who was born 160 years ago today. It's also Science Friday. I'm John Dankosky. At the end of the 19th and the start of the 20th century, Cannon played a key role in cataloging and understanding the stars in the sky. Today, she's honored with the Annie Jump Cannon Award, which is given for outstanding research and promise for future research by a postdoctoral woman researcher. Back in 2016, we got a history lesson about Cannon and her colleagues. Let's give a listen. Here's Ira Flato. When you look up at the sky at night, you've probably noticed that each star has its own brightness. You might even know that measuring that light can tell you how far away it is, the composition of that star, and even reveal clues about the expansion of the universe. But you may not know that our understanding of how to classify stars came from the work of a group of female astronomers, women who worked at the Harvard College Observatory a hundred years ago. My next guest is the author of a new book that recounts the stories and discoveries of those scientists. David Sobel is author of The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measures of the Stars. And she joins me in our CUNY studios. Welcome back. Always good to see you. Thank you. Fun to be here with you. And uh, let me let, let our listeners know that we have an excerpt from uh, the book on our website at sciencefriday.com slash universe. Now, uh, David, you've written women in astronomy before, uh, Galileo's daughter. Um, how did you come across these, this group of female astronomers? I, f I first learned about them from astronomer Wendy Friedman. I was interviewing her, must have been more than 20 years ago, and she mentioned the name Henrietta Leavitt, which I had never heard. And then when I went to look 
look up more about Miss Levitt, I discovered she was in a room full of women at Harvard, which was a big surprise. One, yeah. One doesn't think of lots of women getting to do astronomy at Harvard. You know, we're hearing so many more stories about women scientists, engineers that we never heard of. I know. Before. It's their moment. It is their moment. When this group started out, they were working even before women had the right to vote. That's, That's right. That's how long ago That's that was. That's right. 1870s, 1880s. It's really exciting stuff. So what was it like to be a woman and a, a, amongst male scientists, to be a female scientist who was doing research? I think it was fine. They were very well treated. They... Um, got credit for their work all the time. They knew they were doing something unusual, that they'd been given a remarkable opportunity, and they ran with it. And what was their main job? What were they supposed to be doing? The The m main job in this book is the uh, analysis of photographs on glass plates. So this was a new thing in astronomy, to be able to take long exposure photographs and discover things that couldn't be seen even through the most powerful telescopes. So they were actually making discoveries, and they were trying to figure out how much they could learn from starlight about the content of the stars, their evolutionary history, their distances. At the beginning of the story, almost nothing was known about what stars were made of, how they created their heat and light. And by the end, just about everything was known. They, they, and looking at the photographs, basically they slaved over these glass plates. Describe what they were doing. Yes, well, they're large plates. Some of them are 8 by 10, some are 11 by 17, and there are thousands of stars on them, thousands. Appearing as black little dots. Little black dots, or uh, for some pictures, the light got passed through a prism, and then instead of a dot, there'd be a little strip little smear of a strip for each star with shades of black, white, and gray and dark lines. And from those patterns, they created a classification system for the stars that is still in use. So they had to decide how bright the star was, how far away it was it might be? When they were looking at the spectra, they were really looking at the pattern of the lines mm -hmm. and trying to figure out which patterns made a logical category. And people needed those different categories to be able to get a, a taxonomy of the stars. So they were basically cata cataloging all of these stars. Yes, yes, cataloging, categorizing. Then there were also studies about brightness. Um, and uh, uh, constitution, people wanted to know what, what elements were in the stars. And towards the end of the story, when uh, the women in the observatory were not just working there, but doing graduate research, graduate-level research, the, um, the great abundance of hydrogen in the stars came to light for the first time. Hmm. Edward Pickering, as you talk about, was the director of the observatory and the first person to start hiring the women. Um, why did he hire women? He found some women there when he got there yeah. because the uh, resident astronomers' wives, daughters, sisters had already been put to work. So there was a precedent. But then in his time, women began to be hired from outside. Women who didn't have any particular background in astronomy, but they were good at math and they could do calculations 
and they were they were welcomed. They also cost less to hire. Uh, an evergreen theme. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and in, in fact, uh, one of the first members of the team, uh, Wilhelmina Fleming, started out as Pickering's maid. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, she was in uh, desperate straits because she'd been married. Now she was pregnant, and her husband had disappeared on her. So she took the job as a maid. But he noticed how bright she was and moved her over to the observatory and taught her how to do the work there. And now, the, the, now as you point out, the hiring of the women was important, but, uh, uh, but the funders themselves were also yes. women. Yeah. The big project for classifying the stars was completely funded by a very wealthy New Yorker named Anna Palmer Draper. And she had worked with her husband on a project that they were hoping to devote their lives to. And then he died suddenly at age 45. And she, out of love for him to create a memorial, she gave the money to Harvard to carry on his work. And the money she gave was beyond their entire annual operating budget every year. Wow. Uh, Cecilia Payne uh, Gopashkin, is that her name? Yes. Uh, She was one of the late members of the team, and we have a clip from an interview recorded in 1968 by the famous Owen Gingrich, who was a great historian of science, from the Niels Bohr Library and Archives at the American Institute of Physics. And here she describes leaving Cambridge for Radcliffe College, which was the female annex of Harvard. The whole thing was pretty intoxicating and also being free for the first time to do astronomy just as much as I wanted when I never had been before was intoxicating because even though I'd done these little bits of research at Cambridge, lights had to go out at 11 and the Radcliffe building where I worked didn't even mind if I was out all night working. For a bit I almost worked night and day without stopping. It was it was marvelous. Wow. So she she earned the first PhD in astronomy at Harvard. And that came about as a result of all the earlier women because another heiress gave money for fellowships for young women to come and work at the observatory for a year and then go on uh, for full-time employment somewhere else. And so when the new director who replaced Pickering after his death, Harlow Shapley, started a graduate education program in astronomy, the only fellowship he had, fellowship money he had, was these fellowships for women. So all the early graduate students were women. And so these women who might have remained maids or, you know, in the former jobs were given a, a way out, a way up. A way up. But by, by that time... Uh, there were many more women coming yeah. in who'd had a college education and had experience on the telescope. Even by 1896, when Annie Jump Cannon came to the observatory, she was allowed to make her own observations. You know, it struck me that the title, Glass Universe, is also the glass ceiling. Indeed. Is that, yes. Was that on? It was very part? intentional, yes. Wow, that's great. Yeah. But the glass universe is the plate collection. Yeah. yeah. Very nice play on words Thanks. Talking with uh, David Sobel, who is author of The Glass Universe, how the ladies of the Harvard Observatory took the measure of the stars. And um, 
Uh, how important was their work to what we're seeing today in astronomy? Well, the classification system is still used. It led to the understanding that the different categories really signified different temperatures. Uh, at the beginning, it wasn't known what they signified. They just looked different. Now we know they're, they're different stellar temperatures because mm -hmm. stars have, have different lifestyles. Mm -hmm. And they also uh, help show the, uh, the life stage of the star. And a, another study, which was not really related to the classification, but the work done by Henrietta Leavitt, which Wendy Friedman first mentioned, has to do with being able to tell relative distances in space. And, and uh, that first led to an understanding of how far away from us the, uh, the satellite galaxies of the Milky Way uh, that, that you can see from the southern hemisphere. She was looking at pictures of those, and her discovery helped establish how far they were and then how big the Milky Way was. And then Edwin Hubble used her discovery to show that the Milky Way was only one galaxy among many, and later used it again to show that the universe was expanding. So it was pretty important. Yeah, I, how, I, how many Nobel Prizes, you know, were these women? Well, unfortunately, unfortunately. No, Ms. <laughs> somebody wanted to give Miss Levitt the Nobel Prize, but she'd already died. And and you you can't win it posthumously. So so she missed out. You know, we, we talked to Margaret uh, Lee Shetterly, who wrote Hidden Figures about the African-American human computers at NASA. Mm -hmm. um, do you think there are, and these are also these women who spoken of as computers, too, yes, right? Yes, yes. The, these were the, the great granddaughters of the Harvard ladies. And, and do you think that there are other teams of human computers doing other things that we haven't discovered yet, perhaps, coming out now? Or I don't know. After after the Rocket Girls and the Langley women, I don't. I, don't, I think we've. I think we've tapped all the computers. But if I'm wrong, I'll be happy to uh, <laughs> to learn more. And uh, David uh, Sobel is author of the Glass Universe: How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measures of the Stars. Uh, and and she, you can read an excerpt of her book at ScienceFriday.com/universe. Let's go to the phones. Let's go to Bonnie in Northern Virginia. Hi, Bonnie. Hi, Ira. Hi there. Um. So I'm an Earth, well, I taught Earth science for about 14 years, and um, now I'm teaching middle school science. And um, when I was teaching Earth science and showing the kids how to do the HR diagram and, um, and all that, I always would, you know, let them know about Annie Cannon and how she um, had a big role to play in that, but she did not get much credit. And so I'm just wondering now with, you know, with this research that's showing, you know, how much women were actually involved in this stuff, you know, when are we going to start getting, you know, being able to give them credits? Like, when are the textbooks going to catch up? And when when are people <laughs> going to start knowing Annie Cannon and some of these other ladies by name, the way that, that we know Niels Bohr and other scientists who were all men? Well, yeah. well may, may, maybe now. But uh, just to make you happy, or I hope it'll make you happy, she really did get credit in her own lifetime. And she was awarded the Draper Medal from the National Academy of Sciences, which was a huge honor. So um, during their lifetimes, 
the, the women definitely felt appreciated, and all their discoveries were credited to them in, in their publications. Thank you for calling, Bonnie. Good luck with your kids. WNYC Studios is supported by the Natural Resources Defense Council. Using science, the law, and people power, NRDC is committed to confronting the climate crisis, protecting public health, and safeguarding nature. They address the impact of fossil fuels on communities and our environment. They help protect wildlife, public lands, and irreplaceable ecosystems that all living things depend on. They work to enact policies for clean air, clean water, and access to nature for all. You can help NRDC safeguard the earth for future generations. Visit nrdc.org WNYC for more information. Science Friday is supported by Zbiotics. The team of Ph.D. scientists at Zbiotics are tackling rough mornings after drinking with their new pre-alcohol probiotic. This probiotic breaks down the byproduct of alcohol while you drink and sets you up for a great next day. Check out the cutting-edge technology for yourself at zbiotics.com Friday and use the code Friday to get 10% off your first order. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money-back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money. That's zbiotics.com slash Friday, and use the code Friday at checkout for 15% off. Violent police raids on student protest encampments play out against the backdrop of a crucial presidential election. Could this be 1968 all over again? If every election is just like 1968, then no election is like 1968. Maybe this election is like 2024. Plus, what Israelis are seeing on TV on this week's On the Media from WNYC. Find On the Media wherever you get your podcasts. Talking uh, with author Davis Sobel, who's author of The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory uh, Took the Measure of the Stars. She brought up an interesting point about women scientists and getting the recognition uh, Mm -hmm. that they deserve. Is that an issue, do you find? You've spoken to a lot of women scientists. Do do they still feel it's still an issue with them? Well, they still feel it's a problem to get the Mm high-level positions. I don't think getting recognition for work done is a problem. But I think generally now there is so much anti-science bias that the more we can tell true stories about science, we'd better get them out there. Yeah, it's it's true. You know, I was asked to to put a panel together of uh, women scientists. Mm-hmm. And I went to four physicists I know, women scientists, and I asked each one of them, would you want to sit, please sit on a panel of women scientists? And all four of them said, no, we don't want to be known anymore They don't want to be identified as women scientists. As women scientists. Right. One of the um, women at Harvard today was given a chance to um, be considered for the Annie Jump Cannon Prize, which is still awarded every year. And she refused because she didn't want any prize that was just for a woman. So there's there's that issue too. It's complex. Yeah, they want to be known as just women who do science, exactly. like men, like exactly. men who do science that want to be categorized that way. Right. Um, well, how did the women get along together? I mean, here you have all they, these strangers, yeah, right? Yeah. No, they got along very well. They they had to work in pairs because when one was looking at a plate, she would have to say aloud what she was seeing there would waste too much time to be looking up and back. So they had teams, and then they all pitched in on big projects, especially the publications. 
those publications have page upon page of numbers and columns, and everything had to be carefully proofread. So groups worked together on that. And then they all socialized together. Is that right? Saturday night, they'd get together and play games and make music. It was, uh, it was a very collegial group. It was a, it was a close-knit Organization yes, and, and the observatory was a center not only for the people who worked there, but visiting scientists from other observatories and from Europe. Some people came from Europe and spent months mm. or years there because of the plate collection. And then they finally combined the two observatories, Harvard and Smithsonian. And Smithsonian, yes. What is it, 1970 something? Today it's the Harvard-Smithsonian Center for Astrophysics. Great place. Yeah. Great place. You visit it often? Or? Often. I. It was my second home for a few years, and happily so. I, I, we can see from the book a lot of work, a lot of research went into this book. But I enjoy that. Yeah. People who complain they slaved in dusty archives, I don't buy. <laughs> Nobody makes you do it. It's really fun. Well, we can tell you had fun and enjoyed it from how well the book turned out. Deva. Thank you. Thank, Thank you for you writing so much. it. David Sobel, author of The Glass Universe, How the Ladies of the Harvard Observatory Took the Measures of the Stars. She's with me in our CUNY studios, and you can read an excerpt from the book at our website at sciencefriday.com slash universe. That's all the time we have. Happy birthday, Annie Jump Cannon. We'll be thinking of you when we look up at the stars tonight. And speaking of the stars, coming up on our next episode, we'll sit down with astronaut Mike Massimino. I hope you can join us. I'm John Dankosky. We'll talk to you soon.